to another episode of Ghibli Jabber. I'm Nick, and I'm here with... Trevor. On each episode of Ghibli Jabber, we would normally discuss one of the works of Japanese film studio Studio Ghibli through the eyes of a fan, that's me, and a newbie, that's Trevor. But today is our 2010s retrospective episode, where we'll look back at all of the films that Ghibli produced during that decade. So this, there's no real um, order to how we need to do this, but we might as well initially just go through each of the films and then maybe after that we can discuss a little bit whether we saw any themes or evolution or we have any great thesis for the 2010s of Ghibli. So let's start with um, the 2010 film Arietti, directed by Hiramasa Yonabayashi. So at the time I gave that a 7 and you gave it a 5.5. Well, what are your recollections of this film? Have you thought about it much since, or is it kind of one of those like done and dusted, didn't love it films? Um, definitely the latter. <laughs> I think that I mean we always talk about our rating scales and how how very different our rating scales are. Um, but this one just felt kind of a little bit more empty of a film for me. Um, it was be- beautiful to look at. I think that that was the uh, Hiramasa's first film with Studio Ghibli if I am correct. You are. Um, And I think that we kind of chatted about it in the episode and then a little bit last week as well, or in our last episode about how some pacing issues that go along with this film. I do think though, that aspects that I did like about this film were the exploration of everyday objects in life and what they would look like blown up, which I think is anyone's fascination with a film in which you shrink down characters or mm. like, I think like, like honey, I shrunk the kid. I used to love that movie growing up. Cause I Same. loved like them playing with like getting on the ants back and all that. So there's, there's an aspect of that going on here, which I did enjoy. Um, but I do remember not really the loving the ending. It felt like they were, they should stay. I felt like there was a resolution that, that like they should stay and then they end up leaving. And I'm just kind of like, why? Um, uh, yeah. And so I don't know. I have not thought about this movie since I don't think I will ever watch this movie again. It definitely sits in my, my lower fourth of studio Julie films. Yeah, same. Um, you're definitely right about that ending. It's, it's not a resolution to the issues that the characters had had in the film up until that point. It's kind of like, oh, now the humans know about us, so we have to leave. Like, no, they're happy with you being there. (laughs) What a weird decision to make. Anyway, yeah, this is not one of my favourites. It's It could have been a very cute 15-minute short film where we just kind of explore, um, you know, a borrower going about their day and borrowing some sugar and it looks really cute and they have some cute visual ideas about and you know it looks interesting and playing with scale as they go through a human-sized kitchen or something and there's like a minor drama with a cat and then it ends like that's what it could be (laughs) but it's kind of extended to like a 90-minute film where it's that but long like (laughs) i agree and not not very satisfying um emotionally or from a story perspective um yeah the characters weren't any there weren't ones for the books people aren't going to look back at great um ghibli heroines and be like arietti she was small and fun um <laughs> yeah i mean and you know and we'll, we'll get to it obviously when we discuss when marnie was there but 
I guess if you can sort of one thing that those the two films from Hiramasa Yanabayashi um, share is definitely taking the characters and um, the situations very seriously, maybe to a fault, to the point where it's not a particularly exciting adventure to go on by following these people. They're very kind of somber films in many ways where they could, especially this one has the the possibility to be sort of quite action-packed and exciting and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's like, you know, imagine if we as humans went into like the world of giants, like how fun, you know, there are lots of possibilities you know, visual possibilities and story possibilities that come from that. And sort of none of them were sort of taken in an interesting way. And it's it's like, oh, yes, they would go get, you know, a cube of sugar and then come home. And it's like, yeah, that would probably happen. But, you know, you could have chucked in a fun water slide moment where she goes down a tap. I don't know. There's just, it wasn't like hyped up enough. You know that if like Miyazaki did this, he would have added a lot more sort of character and spark and visually interesting sort of set pieces and quirks and things like that. But it's, he's not him. He's his own artist and he's consistent. The work is attractive, but um, yeah, you, you don't really, you won't rush back to see this. I don't think. And no. I didn't even really want to watch it. For this. <laughs> Um, Ooh, I can't wait to talk about that in the full retrospective of like the films that you dreaded watching again. Oh, I mean, there were, there were none that I dreaded. I mean, I I gave it a Maybe seven. That's an like, horror, it, but that you didn't but, want yeah. to watch again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely, and yeah, we can discuss it more when we sort of in the next episode we look at everything as a whole. The film, you know, there are no films from Takahata or Miyazaki where I that I don't really like. But mm-hmm. there were there the other directors, um, either ones that just did a single film or um, Goro and Hiramasa who were the other people who did two. Um, there are films of those that I don't enjoy that much. Although, obviously, a great fan of Yoshifumi Kondo, my favorite Whisper of the Heart. Even though you're mm-hmm. you're not you're pretty cool on that one, but that's because <laughs> you're not a good person. Um, I actually had a friend mention that uh, she got so mad at me when she was like, "You didn't like that movie, <laughs> right?" No, well, yeah, we have different interests in um, films. Uh, any last words on Ariadne before we never discuss it again? Ariadne. Nope. It makes me. I mean, my last words. It makes me want to revisit the live action The Borrowers. <laughs> I bet it's. I bet it's just as it's probably man, not good. If not worse. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I mean, there's you, there's so much you can do with that. Um, there is that premise, right? That could be super fun. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to the next film, Goro Miyazaki's second film after um, Tales from Earthsea, uh, from up on Poppy Hill. Quite a different movie, more successful than Tales from Earthsea, I'd say. Um, but not totally successful. What, what what are your thoughts from what you can remember from <laughs> pretty sort of slow. Um, yeah. So I definitely agree with you. Ooh, Tales from Earthsea, that movie was just like had a lot, a lot going against it um, in terms of like trying to pack and I don't know what, three books into one movie. Anyhow, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> um, from Up on Poppy Hill, his second film, for me, it wasn't that great of a, 
uh, a jump. I think I gave from Teleformer C like a four, and I think I gave from from a Palm Poppy Hill a five. And I think what really has it going against it is I just truly don't remember a lot about this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we kind of discussed it before we recorded. I was like, I need to reread the plot. Um, to even just kind of remember, I remember like a boarding school. You're like, is that the one where they clean the building? I'm like, yeah, you're even, you're yeah. even asking that question. <laughs> well, like I, I liked those aspects; those were kind of fun. It kind of reminded me of having like a clubhouse. So that that was fun. But then I remember there being like some like, isn't there like some weird incestuous plot line? But yes. then you find out that they're not related. But there was like this like moment where they think they're they related. Could be brother and sister. It's the dumbest thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It didn't work for me. I clearly don't remember 90% of the film. Um, and I, I hate saying that because that's not like a great critique of a film being like, oh, I just don't remember it and thus I don't like it. But I will say if you're a piece of art and you have an impact on me, I'm going to remember you. If you don't, I got other things to remember. I'm going to check this out of my memory bank. I'm not going to focus on it. But I will remember. Didn't love it. How about you? <laughs> you have to remember the... 18 halloween sequels they're stuck up in your brain oh word for word almost (laughs) (laughs) um well i gave this a seven but so i mean that was only the second time i watched it for um for this podcast and it's it's a cute film that's like the seven is because it's for me and i think compared to arietti which is probably a better made film i would rather watch this because it's it's got like a warmer color palette. It's like, it's not, I won't call it fun. That'd be giving too much credence to the film. Um, but it's, it's light enough. And like, it's basically the opposite of Arietti in tone. It's like, even though, I mean, these characters take themselves pretty seriously, but the movie is sort of steeped enough in sort of like a nostalgia for this time. And like, you know, there's sort of a jazzy score, which again, I don't think was very good, but it was an interesting choice. You know, a lot of things sort of take place at, you know, sunset by the docks and there's like a bustling sort of small town vibe. Like I enjoyed, it was like a cute sort of world to sort of live in for 90 minutes. The plot, the plotting was silly. Like, like I think we discussed, it kind of felt like it was a mix between, you know, a high school cleanup, the, save the school teenage comedy drama and then some weird wartime this person oh, could be my sister yeah. because they were orphaned and blah blah blah. Like the, it, it doesn't really mesh very well. But the, the um, the teen drama stuff is perfectly fine and watchable. Um, yeah, and it's a cute setting and it's you know visually interesting enough. So it's not one that I'm going to rush to again. But I would watch it if I had watched a lot of the other ones more recently, and I just wanted something that's. Um, a little sort of fun little turn off your brain kind of movie. It was cute enough, but not not a good movie. <laughs> or no. good, not great at the very least. Yeah, that's and that's the final chapter on Goro until he kind of made um, Earwig and the Inch. I, f- I feel like I'm always saying that wrong because I think of Hedwig and the Angry... Um, no, Earwig and the Witch. Oh, I got that wrong last time. Um, but... Yeah, I don't. That got terrible reviews, so I don't really have any interest in seeing that. So, um, good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, good luck to him. Uh, and now we're sort of 
going on to the final films of the heroes of Studio Ghibli, um, Miyazaki mm-hmm. and Takahata. So The Wind Rises and Tell the Princess Kaguya came out the same year, I think, in um, Japan. But I think Wind Rises came out a year before in America. What 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 are your thoughts on this one? Um, on The Wind Rises or which one? Wind Rises, sorry, yes. Um. I, this is definitely one that since we've watched and I've had a little bit of distance from it, I think that I'm a little bit more warm to it. And I especially think so after even talking to you about it and unpacking it in our episode, I'm a little bit more warm to it. It definitely doesn't mean that by any means it's one of my favorite, you know, Miyazaki films, but I think that... Correct. Exactly. It sits in the, the, the lows of lows in terms of Miyazaki. Um, definitely not the lows of lows of all of Studio Ghibli's films. Um, I, I still think that there's, I find some issues with it. Um, really around the not taking the wars seriously. And I, and I know that it just might be cultural. And so I'm not, I'm not going to bag on the film for that exact reason. But it's just like, it feels weird sitting there. Um, but it is a very, very beautiful film. Um, I think that there are aspects in terms of the characters. I don't really know how to what I'm trying to say here, but the love story in the end, although it feels kind of weird and rushed a little bit, there there is an emotional punch to it. Yeah, her going off to the sanatorium. Um, there's that but it's definitely not one of my favorites. Like I wasn't rushed away into this like fantastical world that I could escape. I was told a historical drama of a character that did something during the war, but we didn't really combat how their place in that history, I guess. Um, And so that, it just felt weird to me. Yeah. It's definitely not, not only, I don't think it's like sort of one of his best. Well, it's certainly not one of my favorites, but it's also again, not one, it's probably the one I'm least likely to want to rewatch, just mm-hmm. because uh, again, similar to how we we're discussing um, Arietti and when Marnie was there, they're qu- it's a very serious movie with, and it doesn't really let up, but it is, it's, it's, it, I do enjoy it as a sort of beautiful sweeping sort of historical epic about um, the price of perfection. And, um, mm-hmm. and I can, and, and I think that just, it just works, you know, in- incredibly well as sort of a swan, swan song for a man who's a, a perfectionist himself. And I could see, you know, more of him in this character than any other character, which is, you know, normally in his film is a young girl. So this Correct. is the most, you know, this is someone who, you know, obviously was his age at some point and is in a profession that is also involves sketching things out and being very precise about measurements and numbers and things like that. Um, and obviously it's a, an interest of Miyazaki. It comes, it's, it goes full circle on his, his plain obsession. It, it really digs into that part of um, what he likes to explore in art. So yeah, it just, it was beautiful. It was well done. And symbolically it sort of worked really well as a, final at the time i think he's he's releasing a film next year or whenever it will come out it just worked really well as that kind of movie and i could appreciate it more more than if it was his first film say but um i still think it was really well done i gave that 
an eight, but again, I won't watch that again for a while because it's very like serious person in dark rooms drawing a lot. Like it's not it's not like an action adventure, like you know most of his films are to some degree. So yes, that's where we leave Miyazaki for the moment, and then move on to Takahata's last film, The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Now I'm mm-hmm. I'm especially disappointed that you didn't see the um, subtitled version of this because from what just from, the, from the discussion that we had, it seems like they added a lot more exposition in the English dub, and I always just find, I mean, the English dubs that it's a perfectly legitimate way to watch these movies. It's obviously a lot less distracting um, in animation than in any other um, correct form, but there's often and like like we discussed in the episode this is as japanese a film as you're going to get and there's i don't know i personally find it no offense kind of american accents doing some of these characters are a little grating sometimes um especially you know when they're saying japanese Japanese names and things like that and like it always feels too kind of contemporary and they'll get some disney kid to like do the voice you know what i mean I think if you watch this movie again, and I feel like you will at some point, um, I would recommend I so. trying to find the Japanese dub English sub version because I think there's certain textures that you're missing by not sort of being fully enveloped in that kind of very Japanese world. What, 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 what were your thoughts on this? And, you know, if you've had any changes of opinion or extra thoughts since we last discussed. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, the reason why I erred on the side, especially for this film, of watching the subtitle version, I mean, not watching the subtitle version, and watching the dubbed version is, I mean, I'm watching anime, I want to focus on the visuals, and it's really hard for me to focus on the richness of the animation when I'm reading at the same time. And so I get that. But I mean, this definitely would be one that I would want to go back, especially after the discussion we had, because there's obviously a lot more exposition in the English version dubbed version because there is there's like narration throughout and i think that you hit the nail on the head being making the you know the, the hypothesis statement of it being because it is such a very it's a japanese story and it's so 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 old they want to make sure that the, the audience is following but um anywho i definitely this is definitely one that i would rewatch. um this is one that i would show people um i think that if we look at back at like all of Takahata's films, he's he's definitely my favorite director in Studio Ghibli. Maybe I should have saved that for the the final episode, <laughs> but um, he he's but he but he got progressively worse as he went on for me. Um, he started out in my favorite film, and then from there, kind of just each film got a little bit less exciting or a little bit less higher marks for me. Um, especially you know my neighbor Yamada's and great film but but this one it was it was very was super happy for him to come back in his final film to be to kind of return to good graces with with my uh, enjoyment of it i guess you could say um there's still issues I like to get back into your good exactly graces. he was like one day this trevor guy is gonna do a podcast and i need to make sure he loves it um now, there are still things that I find grating in the movies, so I would never replace it like as my favorite Takahata film. Um, mostly centered around the repetitiveness 
Like there gets to be a point in the story and, and it's the story that's told and he's not going to change his story to give better pacing for a film, but it's like the five men and then coming and it just got kind of repetitive for me. I'm like, I get it. I get this sequence of events. And so um, I feel like it bloats the time for the film a little bit. makes it run a little long. Um, but in terms of uniqueness, it's so this is the film for me that really takes the animation and uses it to um, uses it to elevate the source material. And I, I think it would be, I feel like this would be like a masterclass for anyone wanting to go into animation would be this film. Um, and so this is like some of the films that we watch in Studio Julia, like I pine for it to be an actual live action film. We've had that discussion. A perfect example is only yesterday. I watched that movie, still love it. It's in my top tier. But the entire time I was watching it, I was like, oh, I want this to be live action. Um, That's complete opposite of, of for this film. Um, there's It wouldn't work live action the way in which he told the story. It is destined to be animated in the way in which he told the story so anywho uh, this was my favorite film of the decade yeah same absolutely this is yeah i really love this one this is my favorite since um howl's moving castle and it's kind of the only movie Mm. that's not true but as we got sort of past howl's moving castle there weren't as many ones that i was kind of looking forward to that i thought were great movies and i think this is Mm -hmm. sort of the only one that I sort of love, love, even though I really like Ponyo and The Wind Rises. Um, you know, I don't hate the others either. When I gave them sevens, apart from Ursi, terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like a live action version. I mean, there probably are lots of live action versions of this. Correct. And, you know, we obviously don't know Japanese film that well. But if they've, it would be boring, I would think. Boring? Yeah. I mean, obviously you can make it more exciting, but if, especially if you're being sort of true to the sort of the somberness of the Japanese sort of folklore, it's kind of like, oh, find a baby, kid grows <laughs> up and then kind of goes to the city and then has people after it. Like, you know, you, you know, you can make it more interesting, but I feel like it's just the little things um, the little ways in which animation can allow for things to be a little bit more expressive and impressionistic that add to the vibe of it, as opposed to it being sort of a very straightforward, um, literal interpretation of the text. You know, in a you know live action movie, you can't really show a baby getting bigger with you know within the same shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's something, it's like a whimsical thing that animation can do. You can't, um, the scene where she sort of storms out and she just becomes sort of a visual oh. blur. I think, you know, I mean that, I think the movie is sort of the greatest animated achievement, you know, that they had done in, for, for a, a while. Um, and, you know, it's the only one that sort of really takes a lot of chances and is willing to look weird and ugly and not, you know, how do you sell a film like that? You know, mainstream mm-hmm. audiences aren't really ready for, I mean, especially Western audiences, the, the idea of great animation is for it to be as clear as possible, right? right? Um, and, you know, like, photorealistic as possible. You know, you want to see their eyelashes when they blink kind of thing. 
Um, and this is the opposite of that. It's a, you know, it's, it's an expressionist painting and it's just so beautiful. And yeah, it's very similar to, you know, Arietti and Wind Rises. It's, this is a very serious decade apart from maybe, so Hill, which is like a little bit silly and whatever. Um, this is a very serious movie, but that serves the story. It would, it would be a bit disingenuous to be like a laugh a minute, old Japanese folklore tale kind of thing. And you know, it, had, it does enough with the characters to make them sort of relatable and not just sort of stiff historical figures, um, especially the parents. I think she has a very interesting relationship with them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the animation and the way it takes sort of something that's very, something that could be quite stiff and then does the opposite with that and makes it allows her to break, break out in ways that she's not able to as a woman in that time. Um, it's sort of the genius of the film. So yeah, I do love this one. It's, you know, a reason to keep, <laughs> to keep watching, um, Ghibli films. It's like sort of a late in the game masterpiece. And then we get to our, oh, and obviously I am sad that that's the last film that he'll do. I think I know. He, he could have had a couple more really good ones, even though he was, wasn't particularly prolific. Um, and compared to Miyazaki, like he did maybe half the number of films in ba- over basically the same amount of time. Yeah. But you know that, but all of those films were very different. Um, and this one was a great one to end on. So now to the final film, uh, when Marnie was there, we've only sort of discussed this fairly recently, but um, what, what, what do you think about this one and how it sits within the decade? Um, I think it was, uh, if we look at it like as an improvement upon Arietti, I thought it was definitely an improvement. Um, in terms of the decade, we've already just, you just mentioned how serious it is. And this is another very serious film. Um, but I thought it was very, I thought it was effective in that I, I felt like it achieved what it set out to achieve in the first moments of the film. Like they presented this character as being very serious and very, um, Anna being very serious and very troubled. And so I would assume opening scene that this is something founded in reality because we immediately like I recognize she's having some sort of anxiety asthma attack it's founded in reality and there's going to be some sort of need to explore that and so the character arc of her and her exploration throughout the entire time her I don't know dealing with her her being orphaned um, by going to this place and whether or not you interpret that as her um, going off and um, kind of just disassociating on her own once mm-hmm. in a while and coming to terms of that or you, you view it a little bit more fantastical. I think that that was effective. I think that you, you kind of discussed this aspect of like it felt more like a mystery film in the beginning, which I agree. There's an aspect of that that it was like, what is really going on? It was always in the back of my head of like, well, I hope there is a resolution here in terms of... <laughs> Uh, who this, who, who, what this character is and what this character means to Anna. Um, I liked its, its seriousness didn't weigh on me as much as some of the other films that we watched. Um, I don't think that I would necessarily go back and rewatch this film, but I think that for what it did, it did it fairly well. 
and I will give it props for that. Yeah, I'd say it's sort of, it's a very solid character drama with enough of sort of, I mean, the mystery is there to provide a narrative drive. Without the mystery, mm-hmm. it's just a girl who goes off and talks to herself a bunch and imagines things <laughs> and then, and then, and then where do you go from that? So the mystery was kind of necessary to allow her to go from having no friends to a friend and then to a better understanding of herself and her life and her past. Um, and yeah, it's a, and it ends in a fairly satisfying way. So yeah, it's a very solid um, drama with, yeah, enough of mystery to sort of draw you in and sort of keep you going. Even though, as as you said in the episode, it's kind of similarly to, um, I mean, I guess even Taylor Princess Aguilar, it does, I think the second act drags a little bit. There's a lot of, and like you said, the sort of going back to the marsh and then leaving and then going back and then leaving and then going back. It's like it probably could have done with one less of those. Um, Mm -hmm. Because then it kind of, like two thirds of the way through, it kind of shifts. She, Marnie disappears and then we meet the people who are living in the house now and she forms a friendship with that girl and her brother. I'm like, oh, this is sort of an interesting little thing that I felt could have come a little bit earlier. Like it's kind of like, oh, here's like the new, the new setting of the story is her with this girl who's her friend finding out, like doing sort of a bit of working through the mystery together of who this person is. I was like, oh, that that could have been sort of an interesting thing to explore a little bit more, but it kind of comes sort of maybe three quarters of the way through. And it's like, that's sort of not really given much time to develop, but no, I, I like this more on this rewatch. I think it's a, yeah, it's solid. That's, that's what I'll keep saying. <laughs> it's a solid thing. And it wasn't, um, as much of a bore as I found, um, Arietti to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think, I mean, I obviously gave it, I said it was an improvement. I gave it a higher scoring on the, the rating scale, but I would certainly watch this film again before I ever watched Arietti. That's me too. So that's our discussion of all. We, we finished going through all the films of Ghibli. Can you believe it? We did it. It only took an entire year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm impressed we got through it all. There were me times too. I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> Rude. So, yeah. So, I mean, next time we'll go into a lot more detail about all of them, you know, we won't go, we won't discuss every film, but we can sort of discuss um, holistically uh, what we thought of Ghibli and this whole process that we've gone through. Um, before we do that, just in terms of this as a decade, so my scores for the last previous four decades, which these films has run over, were at 8.1 for the 1980s a 7.6 for the 90s, so a dip, a 7.4 for the noughties, and then back up to 7.6 for this decade. So I actually gave this um, a better score for the 10s. I think, like, looking at my scores, they're very, I mean, my scores are always pretty, like, down the middle, but I gave a 7, 7, 8, 8.5, and a half, and a 7.5. And so even though I wasn't looking forward to this, decade as much there's they were more consistent there weren't as many 
major highs and major lows. Obviously, like the decade previous had Spirited Away and House Moving Castle, which I love, but then also The Cat Returns and Tales from Ursi, which I thought was subpar. So, um, yeah, so basically the last three decades are pretty pretty on par in terms of averages for me. And my total average at the end was 7.7 of all of the films. For you, in terms of my notes, I think you might have slightly different notes, but my meticulous recordings of your ratings have you giving the 80s a 7.4 average, the 90s a 5.9, the noughties a 6.4, so back up again, and then the teens or the 10s back down to 5.9. So it's equal to the 90s um, for you. How do you how do you see them? Do you look at looking at them now at the 10s now? You're like, how do you see that compared to the previous decades? Better yeah, no, worse? I love that. Yeah, I think that you, I think that you, you, your analysis is absolutely correct. I think that this the the 10s were a little bit more consistent. And I think that's why I end up at that rating. Um, but the, if I look at the 90s, I would prefer the 90s over the 10s because there are some that really jump out that were some of my favorites, like Only Yesterday and um, Princess Mononoke. And my name but, but there were just some within there that really pulled down my average, like uh, the movie we never were supposed to talk about again, The Ocean Waves, and My Neighbor is Yamada's. Those just pulled my average down so hardcore. But if you removed those, you'd see my average would pop up considerably. They're yeah, skewed, okay. is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if I look no, at the tens, there's no real film that, other than the Tale of Princess Kaguya, there's no other film that I'm jazzed about and that I would ever like really want to watch again. Yeah, no, exactly, and yeah. So your, I mean, your lowest score was a five, and your highest was a seven. So I mean, yeah, like you said, pretty consistent mm-hmm. um, throughout versus the nineties, where you went from a two point five to um, an eight point five. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> no, no question. I would rather watch the films of the nineties before um, the tens. I'd say the tens would be the ones I would least like to watch again, just because, as I said, even though they are, um, anyway, it's, it's more consistent across. But even though the nineties have lower lows and sort of higher highs, it's not that the teens were. Oh, they were all sevens. I think a lot of it is the fact that all five maybe apart from, from up on poppy hill were quite tonally quite serious and mm-hmm. not there's not a lot of escapism they're not the things that yeah i necessarily enjoy even though i love taylor princess Kaguya, they're not the things i necessarily enjoy about animation and then they're not the things that draw me back in again um you know the things i enjoy being the ability to sort of take me away and just and even not even take me away to somewhere fantastical but just to showcase the real world in a more interesting light. Um, and I feel like the films from this particular decade did that the least for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate this decade. Obviously I, um, I liked it more than the tens, but again, low lows, high highs. <laughs> I'm sorry, not the tens, the noughties. And overall you gave the films a 6.4, but we'll get, a bit more deep into that um, next time. I think the other thing about this decade, like sort of a final thought, is that I guess from Tales from Ursi from um, the last decade onwards, it kind of felt like prior to that, it was sort of Miyazaki and Takahata sort of going one-on-one 
with maybe a single um, random one thrown in, like Whisper of the Heart or The Ocean Waves. But with Miyazaki, Goro Miyazaki, and um, Yonabayashi, it kind of felt like from 2006 to the end, they were it was sort of like the second generation of Ghibli directors sort of came through. Uh-huh. And two and were ultimately sort of less successful than um, the two sort of founding I agree. founders um, in Miyazaki, Miyazaki Senior and um, Takahata. So obviously that also kind of screws with things a little bit because you have the recurrence of um, Goro and Hiramasa kind of dragging things down a little bit once um, Hayao and Isao were sort of near retirement or doing their final projects. So that's kind of what the final 15 years of Ghibli was kind of the second generation. And then a couple of pretty good final movies from those masters. So that's the end of our final retrospective (laughs) decade retrospective. Um, I'll chat to you next time when we, discuss Studio Ghibli as a whole. I'm excited. Bye. Bye.